0: All right, before I introduce our speaker, Mm -hmm. uh, it's Bill Carpenter's birthday today, (gasps) and he's standing back there all alone, (laughs) and uh, there we go. Thank you, Scott. Oh, look at that. Why don't we all take time now just to run back and give Bill an uncomfortable (laughs) hug? Why don't we start with the visitors? Just, no, okay, I'm totally joking. They're like... Man, this service won't end soon enough, but uh, bless you, Bill. We're so grateful for him. Make sure you give him a hug after this service, Uh, and uh, we are so grateful. An an appropriate hug, uh, but bless you, Bill. All right, here to continue, I better stop talking. I'm just, I'm digging a hole here, (laughs) but uh, here to continue our John series is Heather Kamira. Let's welcome Heather.
1: I, um, I love celebrating birthdays. Because it is a time where you can really recognize just how grateful and thankful you are for the people in your lives. And I am really thankful to be on staff here at the church and to be surrounded by just such a wonderful group of people. I have learned so much from them already in just the short time that I've been here. So I just want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, It's just good to see your faces. I've been I've been sitting in the back, just kind of watching the back of your heads. It's fun to be in front of you now and just get to uh, share the word with you this morning. If you know um, my husband and me, Adam, we love to travel. I, I don't know about you. I've tried to travel as much as I could before I had kids, <laughs> because I know and as I've realized how difficult it is once you have kids to to seem to get out anymore. Um, but before we had Eden, uh, Adam and I loved to travel together, and, and one, of the, one of the most significant trips that we took together um, was to Europe, but to specifically Munich, Germany. Adam actually lived there in high school, so he helped me navigate the train a little bit, and uh, he lived actually close to Munich. Um, and we were, there during, we were there during the fall, which if you know anything about southern Germany in the fall, there's this big festival called, called Oktoberfest. Has anyone heard of it? It's not just a beer in Columbus. It's, it's a good beer, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually a big festival, and they celebrate it pretty much all throughout the fall. Uh, but that's not why we were there. We actually really love history. And so we decided to do something vastly different. We decided to visit the Dachau concentration camp right outside of Munich. And this was probably one of the most impactful experiences. Uh, Um, Dachau was actually the first of all the Nazi concentration camps. And it was actually the one that they templated all the rest of them after. And uh, when you get there, when you get there right away, you walk through these gates and uh, above it, it actually says, work will set you free. Interesting, because there was no freedom behind those bars. And when you walk in as a a tourist, they take you first to this large building where you watch a video, and you actually get to see real footage of when the Americans came in and liberated the camp. And then you see pictures of what it was like and what happened there. And I mean, there's things I will never forget uh, seeing in in that time. And then they actually let you walk the grounds. And uh, I will never forget uh, just what it felt like. Uh, It was cold, (laughs) it was foggy, it was rainy, and no one talked. It was completely silent, as though there was this just reverent hush over everyone. There was just this, this sense of, you know, this was sacred ground. And as I walked through the deserted camp. I mean, there was only one barrack still, still standing. All the rest were just down to the foundation. As I walked around, I remember it struck me. So much death and so much suffering within these walls. And it wasn't like this camp was out in the middle of nowhere. It was actually right in the middle of the town of Dachau. And I found out when the American liberators came and released the prisoners they then made the townspeople walk through the camp to recognize what they had allowed to happen in their own backyards. Many had no idea that over 30,000 people had died there. Now, I know that this is not a top destination spot for many people, I get that. Adam and I are strange in that regard. We appreciate and love to, to, to walk and see those, those historical monuments, but, but it's, it's really very symbolic of of, of us in general, of people, we don't like to face the reality of suffering death, even when it's in our own backyards, even when it's in our own history, and especially when it's in our own lives. Death is not something that we like to talk about. It just isn't. And we definitely have our own distance and denial strategies to deal with it. And we do know we do know this reality that, that yes, okay, so we're all gonna die one day. But, but what's scary about death is we don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know what it'll all look like. And, and the unknown, especially associated with death and suffering is really scary for us to face. And, and it's really sad, right? It's a sad thing to talk about. Whenever something comes to an end, it's always a little sad. I mean, just any transition in your life. Think about, I think about when I left my job of seven years to come here. I, I remember it was sad, uh, that transition, leaving behind those relationships and those memories. And maybe for you, you when you graduated high school or graduated college and, and that transition happened in your life, maybe, maybe, you know, it was a little sad for you to realize that this was coming to an end and, and something new, something unknown was beginning, I think there's always an attending grief at the end of something, even if it's good. Death is a kind of ending, and we struggle with endings. As Americans, boy, we know. We don't, we don't know how to process grief and, and sadness. Um, it doesn't say we're not despairing or depressed, because we definitely are. It seems like the numbers are just rising. Uh, but we go to such great extremes to avoid it to avoid being sad, to avoid having to grieve. And that prospect of unavoidable sadness is really unsettling to us because, again, it's outside of our control. And we don't like things that are outside of our control, do we? And there's no three-step method or, or pill that we can take to avoid it. Grief has to be attended to. And it usually keeps its own schedule, doesn't it? Again, things outside of our control is just hard. But what we find today, and what we see in this passage in John 11 today, which is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, we see that Jesus is over everything, even death itself. And by looking at Jesus in this story and how he responds, we're reminded that death isn't the end of our story either. And so let's just go ahead and pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, we know you're already here. God, but we just, we just say we want you more. We need you, God. We just recognize our need for you. And I am, I am so keenly aware that this topic is vastly personal for some people here today. So would you lift us up? Would you encourage us with your word? And would you give us hope and remind us of your truth? Hmm. Would you make us more aware of your spirit and your presence with us? I pray that, Jesus, you would be made known and you would be glorified today. Would you fill me now with your Holy Spirit? Amen. Well, we are in this really sweet series on the book of John. Uh, Have you guys liked it so far? It has been a wonderful series. I feel like I'm seeing new things in the chapter of John I've never seen before. And today in chapter 11, I just want to encourage you, this chapter is good medicine for our hearts. It is a great chapter, and it literally is one of the most dramatic and provocative miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John. So if you want to go ahead and open up to your Bibles or on your apps, uh, we're looking at chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on either side of the stage and some in the back, too, if you want to grab it and follow along. We'll also have on them on the slides as well. So as this chapter begins, it just gives a little context for where we're, we're starting off today in John 11:1 through 3. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and, his, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I, what, it, what it's so sweet about this passage and three things that we're really gonna glean from this passage by looking at Jesus' response to this story, uh, there's gonna be these three things and the first of which is timing. It's about his timing. So the first point is not our timing, but his. Now Lazarus being sick is, is, is actually mentioned four times throughout this chapter. So obviously the sisters send word to Jesus. He's a healer. They know this, they've, they've heard of the miracles, they've seen the miracles, but he's also their friend. It is actually, they were dear friends of Jesus. And what do you do when loved ones are sick? You usually call your, your family and your friends around you, right? And so this is what they do. But what is Jesus' response? Hmm. Look at uh, verse four through seven. When, When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, now let's go back to Judea. Now, what's interesting here in verse five It actually uses the word agape. Jesus agape loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So then why in the world would he drag his feet and take his dear old time? Why would he drag his feet? And what's interesting is John actually includes the reasons why Jesus is seeing something. He knows of something that the disciples can't see. And again, he says, "So that God, for God's glory, so that the Son may be glorified through it. So it's for God's glory. And then in, in verse 15 as well, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. And that's the tagline of our series right now, so that we may believe. Jesus knew of a divine plan that they couldn't see. And he had a timeline they didn't know about. Man, is it so true that the urgency and the hurriedness and the busyness that we feel daily sometimes in our lives is not necessarily the same as God's divine timing, the timing by which Jesus operates. And from ga- ground level, let's just be honest, it can seem like God is distant at times, as if he doesn't even care. Have you ever felt like that? Especially when there's delay, especially when there's hardships, Maybe you've lost your job or or maybe you've been waiting to just be in a relationship or to be married or maybe you've been waiting to become pregnant or you've prayed time and time for something and you just haven't seen the change that you've longed for. When we don't see the whole picture, when we don't understand and don't see all the reasons, it is easy to wonder where the Lord is. It is. What we come to see here in this passage, and we come to realize, is that Jesus is actually never late. He's never late. He's got a plan, and though this tragedy is not of God's design, God will use it for good. In Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What a comfort. As anyone, you remember the life of Joseph, you know, back in the Old Testament. He's the great-grandson of Abraham. And uh, if you know anything about this story, Joseph's stepbrothers want to kill him. You know, he has 10 stepbrothers, and they're all older than him, and and they want to kill him. And and instead, they sell him into slavery, which is not much better. (laughs) And after being wrongfully accused, he's then thrown in jail for years. Now, Jesus or Joseph knew there was a purpose on his life. He knew that. But I am sure Joseph wondered time and time again, God, where are you? Why the delay? Where are you, God? I'm sure it appeared to him at times that God might have forsaken him. But what's so cool about Joseph's story and testimony is that in the end, at the end, we see that he's become second to Pharaoh, And his brothers, not knowing it's him, actually come to him begging for food. And then he says this amazing truth in Genesis 50, 20. You guys, yeah, you intended me for harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Wow. God was able to turn their evil actions on their head and use it for a purpose completely opposite to their intended goal. And Dr. Martin Martin Luther King Jr. has this quote where he almost kind of rephrases this in his own words. And he actually said this at the eulogy of uh, actually a church bombing that happened in in 1963 where three little girls lost their lives. And he said, God still has a way of wringing good out of evil. Mm. Good out of evil. And our faith clings to that. That God is able to transform what appears to be dead, what appears to be hopeless, and against all odds, He can bring blessing and goodness from it. So trust in God, not in our timing, but in His good timing. And then it brings us to our next point. We're not alone, not alone, we have a comforter. And though this passage is famously associated with Lazarus, right, we, we know this story to be about Lazarus's, Lazarus being raised from the dead, but, but for some reason, he doesn't even show up in the story until the very end of the story. I forget why. No, <laughs> But actually, his ministry, Jesus' ministry, was mainly to Mary and Martha throughout this chapter. There's a lot of dialogue between him and Mary and Martha. And so I want to read that in verse 17 through 33. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for days, for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God, you will give, you God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, well, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I, (laughs) I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside and said, the teacher's here and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And When the Jews who had been there with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus finally shows up, he shows up in the way that they need him the most. Because Jesus has not left us to deal with our grief alone. You can't be anywhere where God is not God is not with us sometimes, he's not with us most of the time, and he's not with us just when we feel his presence. God is with us all the time, all the time. Just like when God, we know that God is good all the time, he is with us all the time, and he does not leave us alone in our grief. There was a time in my life where I, I would say I was facing the unknown, possible suffering. I uh, was a freshman in college. And, uh, you know, a freshman in college, you're excited. You're looking forward to what's next. The adventure's begun. You're finally away from home, you know. It's supposed to be this great time. And, and within a, four, a few short months, um, I found a tumor uh, in my body, and I realized it was growing by the day And uh, by the time I got home over Thanksgiving, it had grown to the size of almost a small kiwi. That's a big deal and pretty scary for an 18-year-old girl. And so I got home and, and the doctor did a biopsy on the tumor and then I had to go right home because I was working at my college and I remember the campus was completely deserted and I was sitting alone in my very small, tiny freshman dorm room On the floor, uh, just by the phone, waiting for my dad to call to tell me if the biopsy had said it was cancerous or not. And I don't know if there's a time where I could say I ever felt more alone, you know. And yet, in that moment, I remember just you know just crying. I was it was just a hard, hard, hard moment, waiting, (laughs) seeming like forever, for my dad to call and. And I remember sitting there just weeping and remembering that I felt like there was gonna be two distinct paths for my life from that moment forward. I knew that surgery was eminent. I knew that was gonna have to happen. I was gonna walk through that whether I liked it or not. But I didn't know if if one path led to just, then everything's gonna be okay or this is gonna be my life now. I might even have to leave this college that I've started to love and all these friends that I've gotten to meet. And as I sat there by myself, I remember just hearing and feeling the presence of God just come because I was crying for him. I needed him. And he showed up so sweetly and he, he, I just remember him saying, like, no matter which path, Heather, I will be with you. I will be with you. And guys, you know, that didn't answer anything for me. It didn't answer, is it cancerous or not? It didn't answer what my life was going to look like. But boy, that's what I needed most was to know that he was gonna be with me. And and just knowing that, boy, when my dad finally called and told me it was not cancerous, I remember this weight just lifting, but but I knew that something had changed inside of me, something had shifted. I knew that I knew that I knew that God was with me in a way that I'd never known before. Hmm. And I think there's times in our lives where we need to know that, right? We need to know that God is with us. When we're in that ICU waiting room and we don't know what the outcome is and we don't know what's gonna happen to our beloved, our loved ones, we need to know that God is with us. God, are you with me? And when you're in that funeral home and you're getting ready to try to put a smile on your face with people walking in the door and you're you're just wondering, how am I gonna hold this together? He is with you. He is with you. all those times where you felt surrounded by people and yet you felt so alone, he is with you. And he does not leave us to face this life alone. And what's so cool is that he knows what we need the most in those times. What's interesting is that Mary and Martha both say the exact same thing to Jesus, don't they? At two separate times. But Jesus' response to them is radically different. Radically different. With Martha, he's the counselor. And with Mary, he's the comforter. When we've gone through hard times Sometimes what we need most is a good counselor. We need somebody to tell us the hard truth, and we need someone to help us sort out what we're feeling and what we're facing. But at other times, other times we just, we need a friend to just be with us. We don't need any words at all. We just need their presence and we need their tears. And this is what we read in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Hmm. Now we know this is a pretty famous verse, right? It is the shortest verse in the Bible, but this verse has always mystified me. Has it ever mystified you guys too? Because... Jesus has two things here that we never have in a situation like this. First, which what we've talked about already, he has a plan, right? He knows there's a purpose here. And second, he actually has the power to do something about it. So what's interesting to me is why he doesn't just say, guys, 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 there's no reason to cry. We're mature adults here. We've got this. I got this, guys. I've got this. Like Within a few short minutes, Lazarus is going to be up and walking around. I mean, isn't that kind of, I mean, if I approached this situation knowing what I knew, if I was Jesus, and knowing what I could do and what I was going to do if I was Jesus, I would almost feel like I would approach it really differently. Almost as though he would say, guys, guys, there's no room. There's a need for tears here. You know, I've got this. I've got this. But what Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't close his heart even for 10 minutes even for 10 minutes, he doesn't say, you know what, there's no point in entering this grief. And what it shows us is this remarkable unveiling of the heart of God. This keen sensitivity that, the, that God has. The fact that he feels what we feel. And yes, okay, he's gonna wipe away all the tears off of Mary's face in a few short minutes. But while he's here, he's going to willingly enter into the fellowship of their sorrows. I love that. And he enters into our sorrows too. We have a God who is actually affected by our pain. Boy, if you're hurting today, what a word of comfort. That God is affected by your pain, that he's not just with you, but that he's weeping with you. Wow. Wow. And what's interesting is it's not just empty, sympathetic tears, is it? This is a Jesus who has actually voluntarily had first-hand experience with his own pain and suffering, and he, more than anyone, is the greatest empathizer we will ever have. He knows us better than anyone, and he knows what we are feeling. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So we can trust we are not alone and we can know that we have a comforter who voluntarily enters into our sorrows. Hmm. And that brings us to our last point. And maybe my favorite, <laughs> it's this: not blaming, but battling. In uh, John eleven thirty three, we read, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now in most translations we read, he either groaned in spirit or he was deeply moved, but it doesn't quite capture the essence of the Greek word used here. And, and I think the message ver- uh, paraphrase actually does a little more accurate job in this case. And it says this, when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. Now when I, when I pull out Greek words, I just want you to know it's not to impress you Ever, because literally it's Greek to me. I do not know Greek. But I lean on some really great commentaries and and Greek linguists who know uh, the background of these words because these Greek words have such such depth and meaning. And the word here is embryomahomai, and it's the snort of a horse preparing for battle, to be very angry, to be moved with indignation, to be outraged. Has anyone ever looked at the story of Lazarus this way? We always see Jesus weeping, but do we see the anger? Do we see the anger in his eyes? Have you ever gotten angry in the face of suffering and death? Of course, right? Of course we get angry. It's not right. But what do we have a a tendency to do with our anger? I think sometimes just to make sense of it, We look for someone or something to blame, right? you see this in especially what happened in Florida recently, right? I mean, if you listen to the news at all, everybody's blaming somebody. Oh, it's NRA's fault. Oh, it's the gun's fault. Oh, it's the Democrats' fault. Oh, it's the government's fault. It's the police officer. It's the kids' fault. I mean, the list goes on and on. We're looking for somebody to blame, and we can so quickly villainize and blame because we want to have somewhere to put our anger, to make sense of a senseless act. And though what happened was evil and justice has to be done, we can overreach, we can, we can overreach. Miroslav Volf, a Christian and a Croatian who has his own experiences in concentration camps, said this, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and myself from the community of sinners. Oh boy. Hmm. There's a weight to that. And let's look at Jesus. Why is Jesus angry here and who is he angry at? I don't think he's actually angry at the mourners or at Mary or Martha. I don't think he is at all. I think Jesus is angry at death itself, at death itself and the devastation that it brings. It was never God's plan for death to enter this world, and death is not of his design but because of sin, death now thinks that it has its final say in the lives of God's beloved, and that makes Jesus mad. Jesus came to earth to reclaim what was rightfully his, and he knows where the real battlefield is, and it's at the tomb. In Ephesians 6, 12, we know this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now here is Jesus walking to the tomb. I mean, it's like he's snorting like a horse ready to go into battle. I mean, this is not the picture I have in my mind when I think of Jesus walking to Lazarus' tomb and he's bellowing out in furious love, in furious love, What a powerful depiction of God's love and heart for us. Just think about it. If someone is trying to seduce your child into doing drugs, oh, you betcha I get angry. We get angry. And if somebody, let's say you created a work of art that that took you years to complete, and someone defaces it, you get angry. Anger is actually a sign of love. Love. It isn't the opposite of love, like we're told. You know what it is? Indifference and apathy. That's the opposite of love. The more we love, the more anger we have when what we love is threatened. It's what we do with our anger. It's what we do with our anger. And picking up in verse 38, Jesus was once more, and look at it again, it twice, it's used twice, deeply moved. This is the word embryo mahomai. He's angry, he's about to directly battle the greatest enemy of mankind, death itself. And he comes to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, bless Martha's heart, she's always concerned with these things. Uh, The sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, because it's been four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God, remember? So then they took the stone away, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Wow, what a beautiful picture of the intimacy and dependency Jesus has on the Father. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Hmm. Jesus doesn't blame. He battles. And he knows that today he's only raising one man, but to truly defeat death and rescue all of us so that we would never be cut off from the presence of God, not here and now, not forever, in eternity, that he would have to face the cross. And what we, what we read later on in the chapter, actually right after this, is what we see is that everyone is just amazed at this powerful miracle that Jesus does. And so they all run off and they tell the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees, from that moment on, plot to take Jesus' life. They say, okay, we're done, we're gonna kill him. We're gonna kill him, and Jesus knows this. He knows that he's forcing the hand of his enemies, and he's making a deliberate choice. The only way to interrupt Lazarus's funeral is to cause his own. And the only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave is to bury himself. Is that not a picture of the gospel or what? this is what the gospel is, okay? We have a God who is so committed to ending suffering and death that he's willing to come into this world and enter into that suffering to rescue us. To rescue us. If you don't think that God cares about suffering, he does. The proof was that he was willing to suffer himself. And I don't know why. He hasn't ended evil by now. It is hard to live in the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. But the fact that he was willing to get involved himself proves that he cares. Hmm. In this story, we see Jesus' timing, boy, it isn't our timing, but he has got a plan to bring good from our stories. And we're reminded that not only is he with us, but he enters into our sorrows. We have a comforter. And in the face of tragedy and death, we see where the real battle is. And we know who wins. (laughs) So I wanna end with this. When Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying, I am the author of life itself. And so through the cross and then resurrection, now I'm gonna be once and for all over death itself too. And that's the gospel storyline. Out of death comes resurrection. And look at our lives. Out of our weakness comes real strength. And out of repentance comes real forgiveness and freedom. And out of giving and serving others comes real power. That's the nature of God's upside-down kingdom. Jesus knows that death is not the end of his story. He knows it's not the end of Lazarus' story. And because of what Jesus does within days of this story, dying on a cross for us, Death is no longer the end of our story either. Hmm. So I want you to hear this. What you're facing today is not the end of your story. It's not. What Jesus did to death is so profound, and we're gonna be celebrating this in just a few weeks. It's so profound that it's utterly changed the course of this world and the course of your life. Hmm. He is the resurrection, and he's offering us new life today. A love. Death cannot touch the new life that Christ gives us. We know nothing can separate us from the love of God now. Hmm. And Paul says in First Thessalonians four thirteen, and now, dear brothers and sisters, I don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope. And that's what I want to end on. Boy, there is hope in resurrection. And resurrection is the way of the kingdom of God. And there is hope when we know that death is not the end of our story, that resurrection is. That one day we will be with him forever. As I was driving here this morning watching the sunrise, a little scared I was going to get here late because the time change, but I made it. <laughs> And as I'm just driving, the Lord just showed me this song. I mean, I haven't, I haven't thought of this song in so long and sometimes he'll do this and, and uh, he's gonna give me the courage. Lord, give me the courage. <laughs> it's always tough to sing in front of y'all. <laughs> uh, but I feel like he really wants me to share this. It, it is a word of hope for all of us. And it's, uh, I'm just gonna read two verses of Natalie Grant's song, In Christ Alone. And if you know it, sing along okay help me out here (laughs) so in christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled and striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the blood of christ i stand and then are you ready no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of christ in me From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Amen. What powerful truth. Why don't we go ahead and stand ourselves as we enter ministry time. Oh, Lord, I'm just, we're just so grateful, Lord, that, that you've given us a hope and that you will never let us go. God, it it might not be easy, and it definitely might get dark, but you will not leave us there. You will not leave us there. Mm. There's always more to our story. So God, we just invite your presence again. God, would you speak to us right now? Would you speak to us, Lord? Mm. We wait on you. Mm. We wait on you. (laughs) I think there is some resurrection stuff that the Lord wants to do this morning. And uh, two things that he highlighted to me that I, I wanted to share. I think that there's some of us here today that are struggling with disappointment, with how life has turned out for us. It's not the way that we thought it would be. And specifically for those of us that feel like we've kind we've of, done, we've done it all right. You know, we've, we've invited, like Mary and Martha, we've invited Jesus into our home. We've, you know, fed him. And I mean, like, we've done our devotions and, and we evangelized that one time. You know, like, we, we feel like we've done it right. And yet, for all the world, we're just Lazarus in the tomb. And we feel like, you know, he's come too late. And if that's you this morning, um, no matter if you come forward for prayer, I just... I just invite you to lay that down before the Lord. I think he wants to minister to your heart today and say that is not the end of your story and that he has something of his plan and purpose that he wants to speak into your life today. Hmm. And the next thing was that I think there's some of us here that have experienced the end of something recently. I think in the last couple months specifically, there's been an end of something in your life. Maybe it's a job, maybe you lost your job, or maybe you've transitioned uh, in some way in your life in the last couple months. Um, maybe there was even just a death of a dream or, or a possibility, a closed door, or a relationship ending. I feel like there's the ending of something, the, those words um, really resonated with me, and I think that the Lord wants to breathe, breathe life and comfort into you today. And, and even give you the permission that it's okay to grieve. That you don't have to just, you know, it's okay, I'm gonna make it through. That you can actually let him, let him minister to your heart and be honest with, with your grief and your sadness of the ending of this thing. And uh, I wanted to see if we had any other words. We've had a couple words. Each service has been really sweet of just healing what the Lord wants to do, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, just, um, uh just that there are people here who are struggling with insomnia, just you're not sleeping. I just, as Heather was, as we were wrapping up, I just that just kept going through my mind. So if that's you, yeah. uh, we would love to pray for you because uh, just that you'd have peace and be able to sleep. And then I just also had a quick sense that there's someone, there's people here today, you feel squeezed into a corner. There's struggle going on in your life. There's hard mm-hmm. things going on. Mm-hmm. And you feel super alone. You feel all alone in it. And mm-hmm. I just... Uh, just like Jesus coming, you know, to Mary and Martha, like he wants to come and come close to you and just, mm-hmm. uh, stand with you in that. So if that's you or any of these other words, we just love for you to come on forward. We'd love to pray for you. So
1: yeah, come on forward. Um, if, if those words are for you, come forward. We would love to pray for you. Love to see the Lord minister, um, to you this morning. And we're just going to sing one last worship song. Uh, just worship the Lord while, while people get some prayer this morning. And then I'll come back up and close us in a word of prayer. So if those words are for you, feel, feel free to come on forward now. And, and uh, if you are sitting or standing and, and you don't need prayer today, please come forward. And just guys with guys, girls with girls, just lay your hand on, on, a, on a sister or brother's shoulder and just bless what God is doing. Bless what God is doing. Just come forward. We're going to need some prayers.
2: the world in such goodness, no, the shame that we would spurn it all and turn and fall. This no. Oh, Lord, our God, your goodness, it's free and boundless, it's
1: reaching endless
2: through it all.
1: If you're receiving prayer, just continue to do so. We're just going to close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you that because of what you've done, Lord, that we have hope, that we have new life. God, that uh, you would just make us more aware of your plan and purposes, not just in our lives, God, but in your kingdom, Lord. Lord, that you would call us out, you would equip us, that we would be a part of your restoration plan in this world. God, we want to see justice done, and we want to see mended hearts, Lord. Mm, Just would you move our hearts to greater compassion, even move our hearts with anger, God, that we might battle with you in this world. We just speak blessing on everyone here in the name of Jesus. I speak life over you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, I do want to highlight before you leave, make sure you grab some of those invite cards for Easter. And uh, tomorrow we're actually getting the carpets cleaned. So we could really use some help making sure all the chairs get cleared out of here.